This episode of HBR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. Hello, Hacker Public Radio. This is Semiotic Robotic, here with special guest Ginny Skalski. Hey, everybody. With your weekly open source news break from opensource.com. Recently at opensource.com, we featured an in-depth comparative analysis of three prominent open source content management systems, Drupal, Joomla, and WordPress. Writer Natish Tiwari pits these heavy-hitting CMSs against one another, explaining how they stack up in four key respects. Installation time and complexity, plug-in and theme availability, ease of use, and customization and upgrades. Spoiler alert, Tiwari never settles on a single winner. Instead, he tells readers which CMS to select depending on their priorities. Want an application with plenty of configuration options during installation? Tiwari recommends Joomla. Want something that's easily upgradable? In that case, Tawari would tell you to install WordPress. If you're thinking of managing a website, blog, or other online resource the open source way, then you simply can't miss this extensive analysis. That was a great article. I actually tweeted that out to my followers because I know there's a lot of people who want to start blogging but just don't know where to start. And I thought that article did a good job of breaking down some open source CMS options. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Was there any CMS option in there that, that you're using? I know Drupal, certainly, for open source. Absolutely. Yeah, I would have to say Drupal. That's what we use to power opensource.com. And we just transitioned, actually, from Drupal 6 to Drupal 7. We did that upgrade at the end of May. And, um, awesome. It was, a, it was a tough upgrade because anytime you upgrade like your key infrastructure for your primary project, it's a little harrowing and a uh-huh. little scary. But we, it was awesome. Our community manager um, had it down to a science. We had, like... Oh my gosh! The the downtime we had on the site was like a minute or something minute? like that. Wow. Something crazy like that. Yeah, and uh, and you know, in my opinion, it was actually kind of a fun team building exercise or like just a good team building experience. Like right. to go through the upgrade together, all was troubleshooting bugs and like sort of all up early in the morning, getting ready to watch the upgrade happen and be online on IRC, like checking things, and it was fun. I really I really enjoyed it. But I would have to go with I would have to go with Drupal because uh, it's what powers opensource.com. I wonder how many people would look at upgrading their platform as a good team-building experience. I like your (laughs) optimism there. That's really good. Well, here's another can't-miss piece. This one's by community moderator Joshua Holm, who introduces us to a set of open-source tools designed to take some of the stress out of designing and giving presentations. Holm stresses that the presentation tool chain he details on opensource.com is relatively platform-agnostic. It's built around HTML5, CSS3, and JavaScript, so presenters can transmit slide decks seamlessly across the web without feeling locked into any particular presentation software platform or environment. 
Because these presentation frameworks are open source, Holm writes, they can be extended and enhanced in any way you wish. Though to be fair, writing HTML, CSS, and JavaScript is a little more complicated than just using PowerPoint, Keynote, or Impress, Holm says. I think that's a that's a fair analysis. <laughs> yeah. Home walks readers through three tools, Impress.js, Hovercraft, and Strut, applications that allow presenters to create slide decks and plain old read structured text or markdown, then output them in any number of cross-platform compatible formats. So you, you, have you used this? Have you tried Impress.js? I haven't, I haven't tried it yet. I've seen presentations on it, and I think it's really slick. It's definitely something I'd like to try sometime. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Not yet, I've not yet... Uh, tried hovercraft or strut yeah i haven't either but i have to say as like a, as a huge markdown fan who basically lives in markdown i would love to be able to make slide decks in markdown um that just is like a, a holy grail for me so i posted I think- a comment to, to joshua at the end of his article and just said he's opened up a whole new world for me That's awesome. um because i'm i'm interested in in trying this out but you said you saw it right it looks like prezi like the output looks like prezi or what? yeah the the two impress.js presentations i saw definitely had a, a sort of a prezi feel to them they're uh-huh. very um interactive and and the t- text and type was moving and it was definitely a step above your standard mm-hmm. powerpoint or um uh, other right. typical presentation. What's cool to me about this is the way that, because presentation software, like, because slide decks play such an important part in presentations anymore, and because people are increasingly doing presentations remotely, so you know, getting a team together for uh, even something as simple as like a little a lug meeting that has people in multiple locations or something like that. Like you would have to send a slide deck to everybody, post it somewhere, have them download the slide deck or email it out or whatever. Here you just create a, a, a whole slide deck in HTML5, CSS, and JavaScript, yeah. put it on the web, and people load it up. You know, they just they find it on the web. They probably have a URL. They can go to it, and and it's it's amazing. No more shipping around slide decks. You can make changes at the last minute. You know, you you ship your slide decks to everybody and then you're like oh geez you know i slide 46 has a mistake i gotta fix it and send it back out to everybody else or whatever or oh we just got that quarterly report in the day before i sent my slide right. you know, stay after i sent my slides so now i've got to redo it so this is just such a better such a oh it just seems like again holy grail of, of presentation software so i'm i'm anxious to to try it out and that's a good point too because one of the two impressed.js presentations i saw was um, I was going through an old conference website and looking at who the speakers were, and I saw that one of the speakers had used it. So I clicked on it, yeah. and I went through his entire conference presentation like several months later, which normally I would have never downloaded the slides and right, opened them right. on my laptop and, exactly. and scrolled through them. So it was a really cool way to quickly have access to it That's and right. see it even months later when it could be stale at that point, mm-hmm. which it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, one final story here. In our health channel... We're featuring a piece from Open Hatch's Shauna Gordon McKeon, who, vo- who also volunteers on the Open Science Collaborative. Gordon McKeon explains Wiki Project Med, a nonprofit corporation that brings together doctors wishing to contribute and promote high quality health content on Wikipedia. Jake Orlowitz, Outreach Coordinator at Wiki Project Med, or WPM, explains that, quote, people are, for better or worse, learning about life and death issues through Wikipedia. So we need to make sure that content is accurate, up-to-date, well-sourced, comprehensive, and accessible. For readers with no native medical literature, Wikipedia may well be the only option they have to learn about health and disease, end quote. 
To this end, WPM organizes volunteer writers and translators to help enhance the quality of the medical information available on Wikipedia. Gordon McKeon explains how the team avoids those inevitable edit wars and works to decrease the stigma associated with seeking guidance from an online encyclopedia. You know, I'm not really surprised that a lot of people do get their medical information from Wikipedia because, you know, in this Google culture, people go online, they Google right. what their ailments are, and often right. Wikipedia is the first, first thing that comes up. Yeah. So that's not surprising to me, but I, it's interesting to read that they're trying to decrease the stigma associated with seeking guidance from an online encyclopedia. Right. Do you think that stigma will ever go away and that'll become, you know, commonplace accepted? Go to your online encyclopedia first? I think so, to be honest, because, I mean, I think this was what, like, um, WebMD and places like that were supposed... This was a problem they were supposed to solve, right? It's really a problem of... I think it's sort of a problem of branding and a kind of a, a problem of uh, sort of cultural expectation, right? So um, I think there still is a, a stigma associated with, with online encyclopedias like Wikipedia for anything as, you know, so quote-unquote serious as... as um, you know, health and disease, but uh, for pop culture topics, it, it's like an authoritative resource, right? So there's something, there's some weird uh, stigma attached to certain topics and, and not others. And this is not to say that, you know, people should use Wikipedia as, um, you know, the single source for self-diagnosis, but um, it seems to me that that stigma is, is still very strong. And I always, I think that people maybe don't use it as the single source because you look something up on online when something's wrong with you and if it doesn't say what you want it to say you try to go to like three other sources and find the one that says so maybe it's a starting point depending on on your ailment and then you keep going further that's right yeah and and i think that uh you know wikipedia is a good sort of point of contact first point of contact for for folks who are looking about anything whether it be you know a summary of last night's big bang theory episode or uh you know some some kind of explanation of symptoms that they're experiencing. It's a point of contact for people, but you know the thing that Wikipedia does really well and that they've been up in their game in lately is is consensus based um, relevance, consensus based authority, and sourcing. Right. So they've been really really aggressive with uh, sourcing of stories, and so Wikipedia, if anything, provides a really nice user curated set of links that you can use to trace. Uh, to trace a Wikipedia entry uh, to see where it went. But I think this project here, uh, Wiki, Wiki Project Med, um, is, it, is taking the right approach and saying, look, we've already got this platform yeah. here. We've already got, and people are already using it. Let's meet people where they are yeah. and try to give them, like make this resource better for them because it's what they're using, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like, well, we know better than you and we're going to make this resource that's going to be better than Wikipedia. That's a really tough. That's a really tall order nowadays, and so this this is a sort of approach where, uh, you know, doctors and health professionals want to meet people where they are and make the resources that they're already using better for them. And I, I like that effort. I just had an idea. Tell me what you think about this. Okay. You know, as we're moving to electronic health records, how cool would it be if I'm a physician? I have my electronic health record pulled up. You know, it's the end of my day. I'm I'm typing up my things from my notes from the day, and all of a sudden I get a push notification about a question on. Wikipedia, is this true or false? Can you explain? And so I take a moment mm, and answer that mm -hmm, question mm -hmm. with the, you know, the proliferation of electronic health records. Right, if every right. doctor answered one question that was pushed to them per day, right, right, right. Like you could you could gather a pretty robust right. catalog so of answers. Yeah, so it's kind of like a cross between captcha and and, and crowdsourcing. Oh. You know what I mean? Like to log to log out, answer this question. Right. Or something like that. Yes, <laughs> yes. We need to make that, Ryan. Okay. There's our million. 
Well, on that note, that's all for this news break from opensource.com. For more on these stories, be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. And as always, you'll find a daily dose of open source news at opensource.com. Until next time, dear listeners, this is Semiotic Robotic. And this is Jenny Skalski wishing you peace, love, and open source. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.